Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hello, my name is Louis Shackshaft. You can find me on Twitter, which is just my name, which is my handle, uh, or you can visit my website, which is also my name, louisshackshaft.com. Uh, I write lots of articles, do blogging. I'm a Sheffield Wednesday fan, so I do a lot of statistics on those. Um, you can find my interviews, etc., on my website also. My name is Thomas Nygren. I write for lfcsv.se, mostly about Liverpool. But uh, today I will be focusing on Sweden. Yeah, and it's great to have both of you on. Louis, great to have you on for the first time. For those that don't know, he's one of the main voices over on our championship show, which you should definitely go and check out uh, as we ramp up into the new season. Thomas, obviously a pleasure having you back. Um, let's start, obviously, since we, we have an audience that's mostly English. Um, we need to start with uh, the England win today, obviously a huge one. We also saw Belgium put in big performances against these same two, two teams. So my first question for you guys is, is this a situation like with Russia where we're just seeing these huge wins because of the struggles of their opponents? Or do you think these two sides, uh, both in Group G, I believe, uh, are real contenders at this World Cup? Yeah, I, I can see both sides of the story. I think, you know, you've got a case there for, for either story. Um, I think both England and Belgium, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say either and we're going to win the World Cup. Um, but they can both go far in this competition. You know, the, the players on show, I mean, you, you look at England, they've got a lot of confidence at the minute, as of Belgium. And, and, and Belgium on paper have got some, obviously, fantastic stars, such as Hazard, Lukaku, De Bruyne, uh, Kane for England, and a few more, you know, Kyle Walker, etc. Um, I know, I know, obviously, the opposition are weaker than in some other groups uh, when you do look at Tunisia and Panama. Uh, but you've still got to go out there and win games. And, you know, both England and Belgium have, have, have done that. And they've, they've both scored. I think they've both got a plus, uh, plus six goal difference now. So, you know, like I say, you, you've still got to put those goals past them. And you've still got to get through your group. I mean, the, the first game for England against Tunisia, for me, that was just all about not losing, really. Um, and then England seem to be growing in confidence, as do Belgium. I know, obviously, at the group stages, they've only played two games. So it's, you know, both teams don't need to get ahead of themselves. But England and Belgium are certainly sending out the right messages. Um, 
that you know that there's still a long way to go, but there's there's no reason why England and Belgium you, can't, can't like I say can't go far. Um, they, they've done they've basically they've done the easy part, um, and it's only going to get harder now they've obviously got through to the knockout stage. Um, and essentially, in the knockout stage, you, you have to win. You can't get away with a draw, obviously, because that would take you to extra time penalties, for example. Um, but yes, it will get harder. But like I say, I don't want to get carried away. But both England and Belgium, I believe, I would expect them to get to quarterfinal minimum, um, if I'm honest. Yeah, I've been impressed with both teams uh, so far in this tournament. But. Uh... I don't really rate England as a contender yet. I need to see more from them before I, we start to talk about them as contenders. Uh, the knockout stage is a very different thing from uh, from the group stage, and the, most of the bigger teams will start to start to grow. Kane will have a harder time to score, and uh, it's a quite young team, so I don't really know how they will cope with uh, with the bigger teams when the knockout stage starts. I, I do believe that uh, England in four years' time can be a real strong contender to maybe win the World Cup because many of the players will be at their prime in uh, Qatar. So uh, mm. if they can build on this for the next time, I think they will be a bigger threat in 2022. Uh, Belgium, on the other hand, is a contender in my eyes. Uh, if uh, England is building something, uh, Belgium has been building for a while now. And yeah. uh, maybe this is the last chance for some of the players to... To win something, if you look at a player like Company, even though he hasn't played yet, uh, and uh, many of the players is maybe 25, 26, and uh, this is their best chance. So I think that uh, they are a bigger contender than England. And uh, now that Lukaku has started to score, I think the chance is bigger because in four years ago, they I don't think any of the players scored more than one goal. So now that Lukaku has started scoring, he tend to keep on scoring for a while. Yeah, I think the age argument is a really interesting one, especially as you compared it to Belgium, because a lot of the points you're making about this England side is what people were saying about Belgium at the last World Cup, and maybe even the Euros in between, was that they weren't quite there yet, maybe the youth would grow together. But as you say, a lot of those players are older. I mean, Vertonghen and Alderweireld and company who you mentioned, Dembele, those are all players that are you know in their 30s or darn near them. Um, but England, very young side. I was just trying to think after you said that, which England players in this squad wouldn't be at the next World Cup and really I'm only thinking of uh, Henderson and Cahill does, does that sound about right Louis? Yeah I agree it's, it's a very good point um, I have been thinking during this World Cup like like Thomas has just mentioned there that you know the Euros in two years and, and the World Cup after that again in four I believe we will be stronger even more so then um, because it is a young England squad, and like you mentioned there, Kale and Henderson are the only two players what probably or potentially won't be in that squad. Um, so we're definitely on the right lines. Obviously, like I said already, we're, it's it's only the group stages. We can't get carried away. However, we are playing with confidence, but it's something to certainly build on, like you say, for the next two and four and six years, I guess. Yeah. Um, to follow up on both Belgium and England... Obviously, with the results thus far, both of them already secured. Do you think we'll see them playing their best team or their best uh, stuff in that match? Or do you think maybe they'll play a little bit more reserved so as to not tip their hand ahead of the knockout phase? I think it'll be a combination of both, to be honest. Um, It's obviously difficult to predict the starting lineup for both England and Belgium because we've both progressed to the the knockout stages. Uh, But 
I believe both teams will have a mixture of, um, let's say, the second team and first team. So, you, you, you know, even, even your Harry Canes and, and you know, um, your Walkers, uh, your Sterlings, etc., they'll probably still get a run out, uh, even though, you know, Rashford, Rashford may come in and start or, you know, Loftus-Cheek again, players like that. Uh, even Cahill might get a game. So I kind of believe Belgium will do the same thing. They'll... They'll rest a couple of players, uh, maybe not potentially their best players. I believe they'll still get a run out because, you know, momentum is also key. I'm guessing, you know, both teams will still want to play uh, on Thursday and win that game. You know, uh, they'll, they'll both want to continue the momentum, like I say, and grow in confidence and, and finish top of the group. Whether that's a good thing coming first or second in the group, I don't know. The only time will tell with that. But if... the, the you know, the answer to your question, I believe it will be a, a mixture of the first and second teams for both sides. Yeah, I, I think so, so too. I'm not, I don't know which group the teams play against in the, in the next round. I but, think it's um, H, so, uh, you know, a mix of Colombia and um, uh, Senegal and I'm missing one because Poland so just got eliminated. Kind of hard, kind of hard to predict. And Japan. And Japan. And Japan, right, right, right. Japan. Oh, then I think that they will rest a few players to make. You need to you need to have uh, many players you know fit in the tournament and ready to play. And this is a great game to try some of the players who hasn't been playing as much because I don't think that uh, winning the group is uh, so important if you look at to to play at the the teams in Group H because it's hard to predict who will win that group. And uh, I don't I don't know if it's worse to play Senegal or uh, Colombia. So. Winning the group maybe isn't very important, but especially for England, I think it's great to play a real strong side so that you can see how how well this young team can do against a team like Belgium. So maybe Belgium will rest more players than uh, England will. Yeah, it's definitely something to keep an eye on uh, as we advance through the tournament. And uh, regardless of who finishes first and regardless of who finishes in what places in Group H, I think the Group G teams will be favored. Obviously not easy matchups, though. Senegal uh, specifically have looked really good their first two. Japan have also looked decent, and Colombia obviously showed today um, what people kind of expected to see from them in their first match, obviously hampered by that red card. Um, Kind of on the topic of red cards and fouls and the like, um, we have seen a ridiculous amount of set-piece goals at this tournament. Um, There was an article a couple days ago that mentioned that 28 of the first 51 goals came from set-pieces, and that was before the England match, which had many, many more set-piece goals for them again. Why do you guys think we've seen so many goals from those kinds of situations at this World Cup? Um, for me, it's just simply because um, the strong and weak teams in the World Cup, you only have to take, obviously, England and Panama today um, and, and, and other games similar where teams will always use set pieces to their advantage. You know, they do in, they do in every football match, but when you look at such as the Premier League where, you know, sometimes anybody can beat anybody in, in the World Cup, it's slightly different. You know, the, the underdogs still generally are weaker and I think that weaker teams can create better opportunities from these set pieces um, but the, the better teams will also use use set pieces to their advantage as well and then obviously with VAR coming in whether that's played a slight advantage on you know goals from set pieces in terms of penalty decisions I'm not so sure um, but 
you know, the, the weaker teams also know that a lot of the stronger teams do uh, struggle to, to defend from set pieces, you know. So sometimes when you're only creating one or two opportunities per half, you've just said it, Kev, you know, teams, some players, and they'll fall to the ground because they know that getting a free kick 25, 30 yards out is probably the only only opportunity that they're going to get in that game. So um, I believe that's that's my reasoning. I could be wrong, but I'd be interested to see what Thomas says about that. I agree with you on that because if you look at the way Sweden has been playing, we we can't uh, we, we can't create so many goal scoring chances from open play. We need those free kicks or corners and so on. So I think uh, that's a huge point. Uh, and I think that the VAR system has uh, has uh, been a huge factor as well because it first of all it has led to many penalties. Uh, our penalty against uh, South Korea in the first game was a VAR decision. And I think that the defenders are a bit more careful on set pieces now with the VAR system because if you hold on to an opponent's shirt for too long, uh, the risk of penalty is very big. And I, I, I don't want to think about how maybe uh, when Martin Skertel played in Liverpool, if we had the VAR system by then, it would be two or three penalties per game. So <laughs> maybe the VAR system has uh, has led to that the defenders is a bit more careful. But uh, of course, if you look at the, the weaker teams in the World Cup, the chance to score is often on a set, on set pieces for Sweden, for example, and I guess Iceland as well. They build a lot on set pieces. So maybe that is why we see so many goals. Yeah, I'm really glad you touched on VAR. I think it has allowed referees to judge games with less fear. Because we talked about this last week when we were discussing VAR. The weakness of VAR is still overruling a non-call on the pitch. We have not, to my knowledge, seen it yet. Where a referee's entirely missed something and they've told him to call it. It's always if he calls it and then they judge whether it was right or not. Um, And I think that does liberate them to an extent. Because if they just call it every time, they know that it'll end up being right. Which leads to them calling more of them. Which leads to more of them being reviewed. And as you said, more of them kind of being given. I think another aspect to this is the fact that at this World Cup, it seems so much easier to play up the wings than through the middle. And I don't know if that's just that these teams don't play together as much, that fluidity and passing is difficult through the midfield. I think it's why Croatia have looked as good as they have, because they have Modric and Rakitic to just pass through everyone. Like Even though Spain haven't gotten... Um, overwhelmingly terrific results. They're also looking very good, I think, again, because of that central midfield passing. But it's easy to just get out wide and whip stuff in. And if you're breaking at pace and a player's slower than you, you get a foul there. If you whip in a cross, we've already seen multiple handballs in the box from people trying to stop those situations. Um, and I, I just think for some reason that there might be a kind of tactical ease um, of of attacking in those areas which kind of more naturally leads to fouls like if you look at fouls suffered it tends to almost always be wingers um being hacked down in wide areas so i think that could be an extent as well but i think i think var is is a really good shout for why we're seeing this as well um lou i did just want to come back to you on this because we saw our first fully designed set piece play of the tournament with england today um a did you like it and b why do you think we don't see as many of those at high level competitions uh, well, yes, I did like it, obviously, because when it works the way it did today, um, fantastic. You know, obviously, straight off the training pitch, they've put time and effort into do into do that. Um, 
and, and when it when it comes off, I know potentially it should have been Sterling who finished that, and it probably should have scored. But you know, the ball still hit the back of the net through John Stones, and, and when it does work, it looks fantastic. And like you've just touched upon there, Kev, I, I don't know why. You know, teams are in training almost every day, and you don't see many of these routines played out too often. But when you do see them, it usually does create a decent goal-scoring opportunity. So the reason why it doesn't happen so much. I can't really answer that question. I'm not sure why teams don't do it. Um, you know, and it's obviously worked for England today. And like you say, it's the first team that I've seen try this technique, and it's it's worked. So you know, hundred hundred percent success ratio there. So you know, I'm guessing England will probably try and try another one maybe at later stages in the tournament, and it's something that they'll put to practice again. But in terms of other clubs and, and other teams doing it at any level, you you, do, you don't see it too often and which is which is quite a surprise i guess yeah my guess is that maybe analytically the success rate of set piece plays versus just lumping it into your big people isn't that significant but when it as you say when it works it's like why don't they do this all the time but if, if it had failed i'm sure people would have been pointing and, and making fun uh, of spending all that time only for it to not pan yeah. out and it easily could have not as you said if sterling um his his header had been saved further wide than john stone's big forehead um next up we're going to talk about the teams that have been most hard done by at this tournament it can either be uh by refereeing or that they just played really well and just didn't happen to get their results i'm very interested uh to hear from you thomas what will lead in you with you first uh because sweden it looked like you had that match under control for most of yesterday so i assume that's the route you're thinking here yeah when i uh, when i saw this uh, that this question was coming up I, of course i thought about our game yesterday against uh, germany because First of all, we were, uh, were very unlucky to concede the goal in the dying minute, and uh, we should have been awarded a penalty in the first half. And maybe Emil Forsberg was through for at least a yellow or red card for a defender in Germany in the first half. So we were a bit unlucky. So if you look at the game yesterday, we have been we were hard done. And uh, the first game. Well, we were we were lucky to get a penalty there. So maybe if you look at the tournament as a whole, we have uh, gotten what we deserved. Uh, another team that uh, I think has been a bit unlucky was uh, Morocco, who played very well in their both yeah. both their games. Just uh, couldn't they score more. Yeah, and <laughs> you need to score. So I, I think they were unlucky. Uh, and uh, as a Liverpool supporter, I have to mention Egypt as well. Maybe they weren't unlucky on the pitch, but. To have the star player of your team injured when you play in the World Cup for the first time in almost 30 years, it's uh, uh, it must be really hard. And for and for Mohamed Salah, of course, who, who had his birthday on the first game of Egypt, I, I think he deserved to be in the tournament. And uh, even though we played in the second game, it wasn't the Mohamed Salah that we have been used to see in this season. He he wasn't fit. It was easy to see. So. I feel for Egypt and I feel for Morocco, but mostly I feel for my Sweden. I've got to agree uh, with Thomas there. I've wrote down Morocco and Egypt. Uh, Egypt, the big one for me. I thought they were unlucky because obviously they went 1-0 down to Uruguay in the 89th minute, which was a bit of a killer. And you can even take it previous to that, like Thomas mentioned, you know, Salah was injured in the Champions League final and, you know, it was doubtful whether he was even going to make this tournament. So Egypt in the first game and, and then the second game, I thought, obviously, 
it was nil nil at half time against Russia, and then they scored that own goal, which obviously gave gave Russia the lead. But they were always going to find it tough against, you know, the tournament hosts, I guess, who always seem to overperform. So I think that Egypt, yes, for me, have have probably been one of the most unlucky teams, and I think Egypt and Morocco were probably the first two teams to go out of the tournament, and and it wasn't for really. Lack, you know, they didn't play particularly bad football. But if I were to pick out a particular game, I know Iran got three points in their first game, uh, but I thought they were unlucky against Spain. I know mm. Spain pretty much dominated in terms of possession, um, but they did restrict Spain, restrict Spain to you know minimal chances. And then the goal that they did score, Spain was very lucky. Obviously, that double deflect, deflected strike from Costa, which found the back of the net. So. A particular game that stands out, yeah. Iran for me, I thought we were unlucky not to get a point against Spain. Yeah, Morocco and Iran are, are both really good shouts, and it kind of looked like that uh, just looking through the statistics before the tournament started. Um, especially Morocco, who did not concede in qualifying, which <laughs> I tweeted out. A commentator in the U.S. said he was surprised that Portugal had to grind out a win like that against a team like Morocco. I was like, what? Is it? <laughs> is that surprising, considering how good their defense has been? As you said, Iran also played good against Spain, and you guys have listed a lot already. Um, the only one remaining on my list proper is Australia, who I thought were the better team in at least a half of each of their first two matches. And they did get um, the draw against Denmark to get them a point. Um, but I, th- I think a point against France would have been fair, um, save for that late goal. Um, they could have easily won against Denmark that last 20 minutes. They were really pushing um, against Denmark there. Um, but the, n- nothing hard done by call-wise, I don't think. I actually kind of benefited um, from two penalties that I do think were called correctly. Uh, but I think Australia are in there. And then somebody that I didn't really write down, but I saw uh, that Serbia um, tried to contest seven different calls that were made against them in the Switzerland match. And I do just remember during that match feeling like they, they were kind of getting a little bit of the rough end um, of the refereeing, not on like huge decisions, although there was that penalty shot from Mitrovic, but it just kind of seemed like it might have been like two to one uh, fouls called against them. Um, so that's that's a little less uh, play style, but just a little more uh, officiating. But but for me, after all the ones that you guys have mentioned, which are all great shouts, uh, I think Australia, you know, probably deserved at least one more point at, at the tournament thus far. All right, uh, now we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with questions for each of our guests. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, and we are back. Uh, Louis will lead in with you in England. The big controversy coming into this match uh, was that uh, reporters leaked the lineup. Uh, a photo was taken at the open training session of the squad that they would play, and this kind of brought up this huge furor over whether or not they they had the right to do it, if they should have done it, if, if the media hurt the team. And I'm really interested to get your take on this, as you, like many of the people that come on the show, are both a content consumer and provider. What did you think of that whole debate? I can see both sides of the story from an England perspective, obviously the team and, you know, Southgate's training methods and the team is going to pick then it would be great if the media didn't publish that. I mean, I know it turns out that wasn't the team anyway that played against Panama, whether he had to tweak that because of that, I don't know. Um, but then on the other side of the story, I understand that, you know, publishers need to sell papers and they need to make money and, Yes, it was for the wrong reasons, and I, I wish that the media wasn't so how can I how can I word it so negative and sometimes against our national side. Um, I mean, I don't think it was done to you know particularly on purpose that they were going to leak the team and, and and put a downer on, on on the game against Panama. I believe that England would have gone out today, whatever the team, and 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 beaten them, but. It is it is it is something that worries me um, because this this has always been the same it's, it's, since I was a child that the the media have kind of sometimes ruined tournaments for England um, and and they've started to do that again and I just wish that they get on the bandwagon of of supporting England a little bit more and and this is one of the first World Cups or tournaments where most people are really getting behind England now. You know, like I say, I don't believe that we're going to win the tournament by any stretch. But I just like to say, if if the media were just a bit more positive, I think it was the wrong thing to do. However, like you, like I say, in terms of editors and and content providers, then they will always they will always publish that content because it gets the reaction and and they're going to make money and and get clicks online. I guess so. It's uh, it's frustrating, but. It's. I just wish that the media were more supportive of England, that's all. Yeah, I think you make a really good point there, because if the press historically had been kinder to the England team, I don't think this would have been seen as the sabotage that a lot of people viewed it as. Because, Maybe not, no. Like, the relationship, it just comes to mind, because Tottenham have so many Belgian players, and basically anytime any of them go to the Belgium camp, you get way too candid uh, interviews. We're like, maybe, shush, like, maybe keep that in-house. Um, but th- they seem to have a much better relationship between the press and the side. And I think if the English media and the English team had more of that camaraderie, for lack of a better word, this wouldn't have been as big an issue. But because they have undermined so much the past... Um, especially in this current team, what they've done with Sterling, uh, I think it was viewed as an attack instead of just a sharing of information, which is kind of the side I was on. Thomas, I'm also yeah. interested to get your your take on this because this happened at Liverpool almost all season. The Twitter account Anfield Express 
was constantly leaking the Liverpool lineups a day or two ahead of their matches. Uh, how did you view that at the time, and do you think it's comparable to what happened with the England squad? Yeah, when it happened at Liverpool, um, of course we talked about it a lot uh, among the supporters because it it's not good if when you when the opponents can see which players we were going to rest, especially when uh, in the end of ending part of the seasons when. Um, when we knew maybe we should rest Salah when Manier wasn't fully fit and uh, when the midfielders wasn't fully fit, it's uh, of course it's bad for the team when the opponents know how we're gonna play. So um, I'm not very much into how, what happened, uh, how it was for for England squad, but uh, when it happened at Liverpool, I was uh, I was very angry to see it. I, I don't want to know who's playing for Liverpool the day before the game because then I know. Of course, the opponents will know it as well, and they will they will know how we will approach the game. So, uh, if it's my team, I don't want my supporters to tell uh, tell the opponents how we're gonna play. If it was the opponents' supporters who, who leaked it, I, then I would wouldn't be as as uh, surprised as uh, when our own supporters does it. Yeah, and Louis, coming back to you on this, um, you mentioned. Uh, that the the eleven didn't even end up being the one that was on the sheet, um, and that kind of opens up bigger questions about the squad because Deli Ali only missed because of an injury. A lot of people questioned Young over Danny Rose, a naturally left-footed player. But with the results you've had thus far, would you try to bring potentially stronger players into the side, or would you just kind of roll with what's been working? I think, again, in England are in a good position because obviously they took six points from uh, the two games and they've obviously got a bit of leeway now where they can uh, they can potentially rest a few players for the Belgium game. But if I was to say um, England were playing, obviously, in the next round in the knockout stage, I can see Southgate sticking with a team that's, that's won both games. Um, whether you can call the Tunisia game comfortably, I know it was a last-minute goal, and up to then England probably should have been three 0 up at half time. But I think he'll stick with a team that's that's done him proud so far. And I think you know he, he might tweak a few players, like you say, Danny Rose may come in, and I'd, I'd still like to see Jamie Vardy get a game at this World Cup, whether he starts against Belgium, and and you know players like Rashford and Ali from the bench. You know Ali's got to come back yet. It's it's only a good thing for England. So, yeah, I, I believe that it may make a few tweaks. But like I say, that the, the team that's won both games, why change it when you're winning? If if that makes sense, you know, he's, he's probably only going to make those changes if if things aren't going away during the match after you know 60, 65 minutes. So I think he'll he'll stick with the team that's that's continuing to win the, the first two games. I know they're going to get tougher tests as the as the tournament goes on. Um, but that's when your players, like I mentioned, will come in. And, and we've we've certainly got options, and that's not a bad thing. Yeah, coming to you now, Thomas, uh, in regards to Sweden, coming into the tournament, you were not very optimistic about what we would <laughs> see from Sweden. But now we've actually seen some good football from them. But as we mentioned uh, before the break, have been a little bit hard done by. I know it seems crazy, but... Would it have almost been easier if you hadn't played this well? Because then you could have just swallowed that instead of playing so well and potentially not getting the results uh, that you you could certainly feel you deserved? Yeah, maybe it would have been would uh, feel better because the game against Germany it was it was very exciting and we approached the game and 
and in the way that we should, we know that they will have the most of the most of the possession. So uh, we need to go into the game and uh, try to defend because there there is there isn't, isn't a single player in our team that would be close to their squad. So if we try to outplay them, we will be fooled. Uh, now we came together as a team, as we usually do, and defended low. We kept the team tight and uh, we didn't let them get any chances. But when we had the ball, we were dangerous on the counter-attack. I, don't, I didn't think that we could attack in this way that we did because we created a few chances before the first goal. As we said before, we should have been awarded a penalty when Marcus Barry was brought down. Uh, and then we going into the half-time with a 1-0 lead after Toivonen's surprisingly great goal was, of course, satisfying. Uh, when they scored early on in the second half, we knew that it would be hard. They created a few chances, but uh, I think we defended really, really well. Uh, we can see that uh, a player like um, Nilsson Lindelöv, he is a great defender when he can defend low, as in the Swedish national team. He hasn't been playing this well for Manchester United in the whole season. Uh, they scored early on, and then we knew it, it would, that it would be very hard, as I said. And uh, cross free kick in the 95th minute. It was a flash of pure brilliance. You can't defend against a free kick like that. And it's just unlucky for us that they have Tony Kroos on the field. Uh, we didn't deserve to lose the game. The players fought in a very impressive way. And uh, a player like Sebastian Larsson ran like a maniac. He was uh, everywhere. And I have, been, I have been talking for many years that we shouldn't have him in the national team. But uh, he has proven me wrong in this tournament. Um, I I haven't really been very interested in the national team in the last years. The Slatan years wasn't very fun to watch because everything was about him. Uh, but now since Jan Andersson came in as a coach, it has uh, it's changed a lot. And this team always gives 110%. Even though it isn't the most talented team, maybe not the most fun team to watch, but they, they nearly knocked the world champions out of the tournament. And... Uh, it's hard not to be impressed. They have surprised me many times in the past year, and uh, they did so yesterday as well. Uh, and I wanted to touch on something else after the game, because uh, I'm not sure if you've read the news from Sweden about what happened um, in social media after the game. Uh, oh, with, but, the, with uh, the racism incident? Yeah, Jimmy Durmas, the player who brought Werner uh, down for the free kick received I think it was about 3,000 messages in social media filled with uh, hate. His family was threatened and he were uh, racially abused because of that free kick. And uh, Jimmy Durmas, is, uh, he's a role model. He works close to a group in Sweden called uh, Locker Room Talk, uh, who try to change the atmosphere in locker rooms in sport and uh, want young uh, people to show more respect to each other when they play. And Jimmy Durmas has been in the national team for many years. He has never been a star player, but uh, he has always tried his best. Uh, but if you look at this case, I don't really think that uh, it matters that he is such a great man that he is. Even if he was the biggest asshole in the squad, he doesn't deserve to be treated this way by, by Swedes. We have uh, problems in Sweden with racism. And it has become um, very clear now in times like this that uh, just because the name of the back says Durmas instead of Klaasson, people write to him that uh, they want him to go out of the country. And uh, he's born in Sweden. It's the country where he's born and raised. 
And um, as a Liverpool supporter, I have seen the hate towards both Lovren and Karius this season, where families have been threatened. And now just 10 days into the World Cup, Jimmy Durmas receives these disgusting messages. So I don't know what, uh, what there is to be done about this, but something has to change. Uh, the support for Jimmy Durmas after the threats has been great in both me- in social social media and media and so on, as they should. Uh, football is about getting together and support. But yesterday was a reminder for many of us in Sweden that uh, we nowadays live in a country that is uh, quite divided, and that made me a bit sad. Uh, today, at the, when the team started the practice, it was with a speech from Jimmy Durmas against racism. And uh, that a national team needs to do that in the middle of a World Cup is uh, ah, it's depressing. Yeah, it, it was good that he did get the support of basically everyone around Swedish football. Um, I'm not going to comment on it any further personally, but I will just remind everybody that FIFA disbanded its anti-racism task force in 2016, claiming that the job was done. So... Just remember that there is no racism in football. They actually got rid of it. Um, Yet we still see all these horrible things. And it is a concerning trend of going after families, especially on Twitter. uh, Fortunately, we haven't seen anything like that um, materialize into something horrific. But the fact that it it continues to be bandied about on social media is definitely a worrying trend. Uh, Not a great uh, way to segue away from something that serious. Uh, to something a little lighter, uh, but for each of you, who was your country's man of the match? Uh, for me, on paper, you can't look past Kane, can you? I mean, a player scores a hat trick, and uh, you would think that he was the man of the match by a long shot. Obviously, his two penalties were absolutely sublime. I don't think anyone would have saved those in a million years. I mean, the power and precision on both, and they were both practically identical penalties as well. Um, so as long as he continues to do that when taking penalties, then England are in good shape. Uh, but if I was to move on from Kane, like I say, on paper, you'd expect Kane to be man of the match, scoring a hat-trick. However, I also thought Lingard was fanta- fantastic today. Um, he had great link-up play. His goal was you know, unbelievable as well, in off the bar from about 20-odd yards. And Henderson, I've got to give Henderson a mention because he continues to do, like, the dirty work and, you know, he, he kind of gone on, goes unnoticed. And Thomas can probably agree with me from, a, you know, a Liverpool point of view that he he, he, he determined dogged performances and, he, you know, he just kind of sits around the centre circle and, and cleans up and, and that's what he's there for. And he, he's had a fantastic two games for England against Tunisia and Panama and the biggest player what continues to impress me and like I say I know we've potentially not been tested yet but Kieran Trippier um, each game you know before the tournament began I was I I was a fan of Trippier but on the international stage it's you know it can be slightly different and he's he's not got too many caps for England but for me he's had another fantastic game today uh, but yeah, in terms of man of the match, like I say, you, you can't really look past Kane, and and now he's obviously on five goals and and leading the way for the Golden Boot. So uh, long may that continue. Yeah, it's nice to hear uh, Henderson being praised because I think he's a very underrated player, both in Liverpool and for England, of course. Uh, if you look at the Swedish team, it, it was a team effort, but uh, 
Robin Olsen in uh, goal were uh, very impressive and he saved Sweden many times. His save from uh, Gomez in the dying minutes should have been enough. And so it was, uh, it, was, it was a real shame that it wasn't. I think that Robin Olsen is ready for a bigger club now and maybe he will, it will happen after this World Cup. I saw some rumors that uh, Liverpool were interested in him, but uh, according to the media, we are interested in every goalkeeper, so I don't think that will happen. But uh, I think that he won't be playing in uh, Copenhagen after this World Cup. And I want to mention uh, our centre-backs as well, with Nilsson Lindelöf and uh, Andreas Granqvist. They were spectacular in the, in the, almost during the whole game. The free kick wasn't much to do about, and the first, the first goal was, uh, it was hard to defend against. They were where they should have been, and uh, the opponents were great players, and some things like that happened. As I said before, you can see now that uh, Nilsson Lindelöf is a great defender when he can uh, when he can play quite low, because um, he's smart uh, together with Granqvist, and he doesn't make those mistakes that he makes for Manchester United when he needs to be playing higher up at the pitch. So um, those three players um, impressed me, and I could go on. The whole team were uh, they played at the top level. They can't they can't do anything better than they did yesterday. So everybody deserves a mention. Yeah, and on the downside, which player do you think has been the biggest disappointment at the World Cup thus far? You can either go country or the whole tournament if you'd like. I'll start with country. Uh, for me, you know, it's, it's difficult to criticise any player at the minute coming off, you know, two victories. Um, but I'm just a little bit disappointed in Raheem Sterling. Um, you know, the, the best maybe yet to come. However, you know, he's gone out and done a job in both games, but we've, we've scored eight goals now and, and playing as a striker, you probably would have expected him to score at least one of those. And, you know, like I said earlier, he probably should have scored from the link-up play from the uh, training ground set piece that we uh, played against Panama. And he, should, he probably should have finished that. And it's it, there's, there's still that question mark over Sterling, whether he's... He's proved himself with Man City, where people did ask the question as he, as he got this end product, you know, in terms of assists and goals. And he proved himself with Man City this season and, and scored plenty of goals, but he needs to now do it on the international stage. He just seems slightly off when playing for England. I believe he's only got two goals in 40 appearances now for England. Uh, and like I say, there's, there's still just that question mark about him in terms of his end product. And you know, hopefully he can put that right, whether he starts against Belgium or, you know, later in the tournament. But um, if he doesn't score soon enough, then that's when I can see such as Rashford taking his place because um, he seems to be getting a few chances, but he's just not taking them. So um, fair play to him because I'm not, like I say, I'm not criticising the guy. I think he's, he's, he's played two half-decent games, but he just needs to start converting those chances. And apologies, sorry, yes, I need to talk about the tournament player. Um, mm. for, for me, it has to be, because I expected a lot from the guy, uh, it's Thomas Muller, I'm going to say Thomas mm. Muller. He was obviously a pivotal part of uh, Germany's World Cup win four years ago, and you know, at any level, he's he's potentially a will beat, you know, he's, he's a world-class player and, you know, and maybe it's not slightly happened for him at Bayern Munich either this season. 
Um, but for me, in both games so far, he's offered absolutely nothing. Um, he seems like he's just completely lacking confidence. And, and in terms of creativity and, you know, efforts on goal, it's, it's, it's just zilch for me. Yeah, I, th- I think he's been really disappointing so far. And I know, obviously, in the first game, Germany were undone by Mexico and, you know, quite rightly so. And they were disappointing. But even in Germany's victory, and you could call it lucky victory against Sweden, Thomas Muller, again, for me, was just, you know, five out of ten. I didn't think he offered anything at all. So I was quite, I'll be quite surprised if, if he even plays in, in the next fixture. If he, for Sweden, the biggest disappointment so far is uh, we, have, we have been defending really well, but we can't really create enough chances going forward. And uh, that was up to Emil Forsberg going into this tournament. And it hasn't really been working for him yet. He, he's not been playing bad, but uh, we need something more from him uh, if we want to keep on if we want to keep on scoring. Going into this tournament, I didn't think that our two goal scorers after the first two games would be <laughs> Andreas Granqvist, who is a central defender, and Ola Toivonen, who well, who hasn't played a game for Toulouse for the whole season. I thought that it would be Emil Forsberg and Marcus Berg who would score our goals, and none of them has been at the level that they should be. Emil Forsberg hasn't created enough, and Marcus Berg has missed. He missed one sitter at the first game, and yeah, he's had his chances. Yeah, and the the penalty yesterday. Of course, if he would have been a bit sharper, he would have scored without uh, Boateng getting the chance to take him down. And uh, he has he had a header at the end of the first half as well. So, I uh, he needs to score more goals, Marcus Barry. Now we play Mexico, and uh, it's up to Emil Forsberg and Marcus Barry to create something now because uh, the rest of the team is doing what we expected from them. And it's uh, Forsberg and Barry who isn't really up to speed yet. Uh, hopefully they will do it uh, in the next game because we, we will need it. Uh, and if you look at the tournament as a whole, it, it would be easy to say Leo Messi, of course, because I, but uh, Argentina has been a mess. The team is uh, it's falling apart. So even though Messi is arguably the best player of all times. He can't, he can't do it by himself, so it would be a bit, a bit uh, hard to, to mention him. Uh, I watched Poland uh, an hour ago, and um, yeah. Robert Lewandowski has not had a good tournament. I, did, I didn't like Poland at all in the first game against Senegal as well. They, they didn't look like... Um, I didn't see any desperation from them when they were behind. And uh, Lewandowski is the guy... He is... Uh, well, we have Marcus Bay who have to score. Poland needs Lewandowski to score. And uh, I, I've been, I don't, I've been um, not very impressed by him what, from what I've seen so far. So maybe he's my biggest disappointment so far in this tournament. Uh, but uh, I think that's, that uh, Poland as a team is an even bigger disappointment. Yeah, definitely agree with both of you there. Messi does seem a pretty cheap shot. I think everybody else wearing an Argentina kit also does need to do better. And and on that note, I meant to mention last week when we were talking about Argentina and Messi's struggles, um, the fact that Argentina were not good in qualifying. Like, this is not an underperforming Argentina side. This is how they've been performing. Uh, I mentioned that in qualifying... Out of the 31 teams that have to go through that route, obviously Russia automatically granted qualification as hosts, they were 31st of 31 in goals scored. 
they only scored 19 goals in 19 matches one per like they were if you put them in uefa qualification they would have been 13th in goals and they played between seven and nine more matches like this is not a very good argentina team and while a lot of us think that Messi is good enough to get them above it, and I personally think he is, if he had scored that penalty in the first match, you know, they, they could be on three or four points. Um, but unfortunately, did not do it. So it's a uh, it's a bit of a sticky situation there for Argentina on the whole. Um, I agree with you on Mueller as well. I, I think Germany have needed what Thomas Mueller usually provides, but it hasn't been there. And it's it's just been pretty disappointing. On that same note, Timo Werner, who has really developed over the last couple of years, um, was kind of excited to see Germany with a different kind of forward, but they haven't changed how they play. They're still lobbing balls up to him like he's Miroslav Klose when he's a very pacey center forward, not a huge target man. Um, so I guess I'm not really identifying players, just kind of following uh, the the team trends of people that probably should have been better. All right, uh, and we will wrap with match previews. Obviously, a huge match uh, for Sweden playing Mexico, but in a situation that is not awful in that you have your own fate in your own hands. If you win this one, you're you're through, uh, if my math is right. Uh, so what do you expect we'll see in this one? Oh, yeah, it would be a very exciting game, of course. We, we must win this game, but uh, to be in this situation, to, to have everything in our own hands for the final game is... Uh, it's good for Sweden, you know, we, we've done what we should. We won against Korea and we lost against Germany. And now if we win against Mexico, 1-0, one, 2-1, one every, every, in every way, if we win, we're through. And that's, a, that's what you want from the final game in the group stage. Uh, we need to keep on defending as well as we have been doing for most of the tournaments if we want to, if we want to go through, because Mexico is a good team. Um, and we need to score on the chances that we get. As I said before, it's time for Marcus Berg to score now. Uh, the worrying thing for me is uh, how the team will uh, react on the game against Germany. Because if you looked at the faces of them yesterday, they were very disappointed. And uh, not many of them have been in this situation before. It's the first World Cup for Sweden in uh, in many years. And our, player had, our players isn't... They're not used to be in this situation to to lose a game that was almost like a was almost like a final to the Swedish players and we lost and now we need to regroup and play again on Wednesday. So um, I really really hope that uh, the players are are ready for it in their heads and not just in their legs because they need to be as strong mentally against Mexico as they were against uh, Germany. And I don't think that Mexico wants to play Sweden because um, they played a lot of counterattack against um, yeah. against Germany, and uh, they can't counterattack against Sweden because we will have five or six players waiting for them. Uh, so um, they they can't attack in the way that they're used to when they play us. So um, it would be a hard game for Mexico to break down Sweden, but uh, a draw is enough for them. So. Um, as, we need to score sometime in the in the game, and when the chances comes, if we if we score the first goal, I think we have a great chance of uh, of getting through it. But um, if Mexico scores the first goal, I think uh, we will have huge problems, and um, Germany will of course beat South Korea. So I think we can count on them being through. 
So um, it was really, it was bad for us, of course, that we didn't get a draw yesterday because then Mexico would have been safe and the yeah. draw against Mexico would have been enough for us. So uh, I will, we will have nightmares about that Tony Kroos free kick if Sweden can't win against Mexico. Yeah, hopefully you can eke it out though. But fascinating as Group F uh, with, as you say, none of the teams yet uh, qualified or eliminated. If Korea scored... Was at least three goals. Uh, they'd be able to go through yeah. on their own if, if uh, Mexico won. Just craziness. So definitely keep an eye on that group uh, as it plays out. Um, then coming to you, Louis. Uh, England versus Belgium. It's the one everybody was super excited about heading into the tournament. I guess everybody assumed that one of them would drop points before now. They didn't. We talked about it a little bit in the open, but what do you think we'll see? Um, it's kind of impossible to predict until you see the lineup. Really, I think the most important thing is for England that we don't lose. I think both teams would probably take a draw now. Really, um, like I mentioned earlier, whether you finish first or second in this group, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, depending on who we play in the next round. Like you mentioned, it could be Senegal, Japan, or Colombia. I think all of those teams are there for the taking, but when you go to the knockout rounds. You know, anything can happen. Um, but if I were, was to predict, uh, you know, a, a result for this game, I would go for a 1-1 draw. Like I say, I think both teams would be happy with that. But in, in regards to that, that means it would go down to the fair play rule. But as both teams have scored eight and conceded two and both sit on six points. So it would just simply go down to who's um, been shown the most yellow cards in terms of the fair play rule, which is kind of interesting. And if that's equal also, I believe it then goes down to basically drawing a short straw. Um, so that would be something new. Uh, but yeah, I, I like I say, the, the important thing is for England, whether, whether they do continue with a similar team or make changes is, is not to lose, like I say. Continue with momentum, even a nil-nil or a 1-1 draw, you know, wouldn't hurt anybody so uh let's just keep up that confidence and um without a loss i believe that can push us forward in, into the into the knockout stages yeah it'll definitely be interesting to see how these teams do roll out um but as you said it's not as critical as it is for other groups to avoid whoever the 1a is from the other group um all of them threatening in their own ways uh but yeah <laughs> hopefully uh, England can do well, and Harry Kane can continue to do well, so that all of those stupid memes will die. And on that very serious note, <laughs> that'll do it for us today. Uh, so if you'd like to tell folks anything you're working on or where they could find you, now would be a good time. So I'm Louis Shackshaft. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is just my name, at Louis Shackshaft, or you can visit my website, which is my name also, louisshackshaft.com. Uh, I'm currently working and doing match reports on the World Cup uh, for Sporf. Um I did one for the Spain-Iran game and I'll next be doing a match report on the Serbia-Brazil game on Wednesday so you can go on my Twitter feed and check those out. I'll be obviously doing some more in the knockout stages as the fixtures are released. Um, like I said, also you can check out my website which has got all my articles uh, and blogs etc on there and normally you can, as Kev mentioned at the beginning of the show, find me on the championship pod. So, uh, no, you know, typically I'm a Sheffield Wednesday fan so obviously I represent them on the championship pod and you can check that out on Twitter which is at championship pod. 
I'm a, I've been Thomas Nygren. You can find me on Twitter at Thomas Nygren. And I also write about Liverpool for lfcsv.se. Uh, during the World Cup, we mostly cover the Liverpool players. And uh, hopefully we have an exclusive interview with a former Liverpool player coming up next week. So uh, you can, if you check the page out, you, maybe on Wednesday or Thursday, maybe, hopefully, we have something good coming up. And uh, I also talk about Liverpool on Total Liverpool podcast. Yeah, obviously, everybody should go check out uh, the stuff that both of these guys are churning out. Uh, I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, at KevRuff on Twitter. You can find my fantasy ratings over at Goal.com. Uh, so check that if you're interested in World Cup fantasy. It's definitely been a crazy adventure thus far. Um, but yeah, check that out. Obviously, at EPL Roundtable is this show. As Louis said, at Championship Pod. Uh, and uh, we'll have FPL content coming out when the game launches for the 2018-19 season, which is not far enough off for my liking. But <laughs> thanks so much for joining me today, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.